This program is brought to you by Jen Lee Productions. At jenleeproductions.com, you can find resources to nourish and inspire, including home study courses, books, and accessories. Hold the possibilities in your hands. I'm Jen Lee, and you're listening to Retrospective. I'm so happy today to be with my friend Tim Manley, who is the author and artist of the new book, Alice in Tumblrland, which is coming out November 5th from Penguin Books. Yeah. Did I get it right? That's right. That's it. Um, thanks for talking to me today. Thank you for talking with me. Um, I think, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about the story of how you came to have a book coming out. Mm. Do you want to tell us about the story of the book for people who haven't yeah, yeah, been sure. following you online yet? Sure, yeah. Uh, so, I think a, a fine starting place would be that about a year and a half ago, I was teaching, I was a teacher in a public school in Manhattan. I was an English teacher. And I left my job because um, I wanted to spend more time writing and working on some creative work. And I was writing a novel, but then also I was writing this Tumblr. I started a Tumblr online called Fairy Tales for 20-somethings. And the basic idea of the Tumblr would be that I took classic fairy tale characters that we all knew, and then I put them, or either put them in the modern day or or reimagined them as as people in their 20s. And uh, so, for example, uh, the ugly duckling still feels gross compared to everyone else. But now she's got Instagram, and there's this one filter that just makes her look awesome. Uh, So they were just these little stories. And then I was doing it for about two months or so, and and basically the the Tumblr went viral. And I started to get some emails from agents saying this could be a book, and that was very exciting for me. And I spoke to a whole bunch of agents, and then this one woman I just really clicked with. And so in November of 2012, I signed uh, with her, and we started putting together a book proposal. So we put together like a 20-page excerpt of what the book would hypothetically look like, and like a little introduction, kind of saying what the rest of the book would be like. And then she shopped it around, and I just crossed my fingers, and in maybe like late... January or early February, I forget, um, but she had found three publishers that were interested in the book, and one of them was Penguin, and we ultimately decided to go with them for a whole bunch of reasons. And then I had to write the book, (laughs) or finish writing it, Uh, but but that's sort of the very short story of of how it came to be. Um, I think there are like two parts of this that I'm like really intrigued by so the first was when you were actually starting the tumblr let's go back a little bit further because you had you were already like transitioning from a previous job into Mm -hmm. more of a writing creative life yeah so what was it like to take that kind of leap because I think after in retrospect everyone always thinks that they look back and think, well, of course you must have known <laughs> it was going to turn out this way, right? Right, 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 right. But right. back then you really had no idea that it would turn out yeah. this way. 
So what was it like to leave another career yeah. and go all in on this dream of writing? Well, and I think that's really true. I, you know, one of my, one of my family members, uh, my aunt said something at some point, like, you were so brave to quit your job. And I was like, well, or I was really, really dumb, you know, depending on how it worked out. And conveniently right now, it looks like I'm really brave, but, uh, you know, it didn't, I didn't know that that's the way it would be. Um, what I left out of the story a minute ago is that I had actually also quit that same job about two years earlier. Um, basically, I started teaching when I was 22, and I taught for about um, two and a half years. And then I was sort of like, I really have to spend more time writing. I have to, we're, we're just doing creative work. Like, I kind of just felt like if I didn't do it now, um, I didn't know when I would. And so I quit my job, and I moved home to my mother's house. Um, for a year and I was doing a lot of creative work and then uh, I basically decided I wanted I wanted my job back and I went back to the teaching job that I had I well I went back to the school and I said I, I would love to come back if you'd have me back and they took me back and then after a year I quit again <laughs> <laughs> so um, they and they were very, very kind and understanding with me. But it's strange because definitely when I quit, I, I didn't know how things would work out. But I had kind of this um, this stop and start way of doing it. You know, I had quit once and then I had gone back and then I quit again. So kind of there was always this this back and forth in me of fully embracing this new life and then kind of running from it fearfully. And I don't know what I'd be doing right now if the Tumblr hadn't have happened to have gone viral and I hadn't have happened to have written and, and sold this book um, if maybe like nothing had kept happening or, you know, there'd been no, um, no acceptance of, of the work that I was doing. Uh, I don't know if I'd be brave enough to keep going. I hope I would. I hope I would, you know. Um, but I kind of for a while was just going back and forth, try, you know, trying to keep doing it and then sort of being like, I don't know if this is really what I should be doing with my time. I wonder if a lot of people get caught in this gap between feeling really called towards creative work but also um, stuck in this gap between creating the work and monetizing the work. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like there's something has to happen there. Like you have to figure out that piece. So it's really kind of twofold. You not only have to create the work, but then you have to find a way to create a living out of the work. Yeah. If you're going to do it, exclusively and not have a day gig or something yeah that's like an income source right I I totally agree and I think it's a weird I don't think I ever expected to really make money from writing or illustrating or, or whatever it is that I'm doing and and right now I'm you know that's kind of what I'm living off of is is selling the book I think I can do that for about five more months and then, and then I got to figure out, uh, you know, based on my budget, and then maybe 
I'll have to tutor more, you know, because I do some other things right now, like like tutoring and, and side things to try to make money. But it's a weird, uh, it's definitely strange to try to figure out how you can and how much you should think about the the money part of what you're doing because um, maybe you have to think about it a little bit because you gotta I gotta pay rent you know and um, and also but you don't want to think about it too much because then you're mm, probably your work is going to be terrible if you're if that's your end goal um, but I think the dream is that the work that you're doing is something that means a lot to you and then also means a lot to other people um, and then and then maybe somehow you know it, it works out with money in that way but um, but I do think it's useful to think about for me at least for me at least right now uh, to think about doing work that means something to me but that also will matter to other people yeah that makes a lot of sense and then that's exactly what happened with your Tumblr, really, yeah. was yeah. that it, it's, okay, so there's the fact that it's, you've got a certain idea, right, and the concept of it, which mm -hmm. is re, reimagining these fairy tales for this current generation, but there's also, in doing that, it's like you're giving voice to the questions and concerns of an entire generation. That's why people are resonating. That's why it's going viral. So when you sit down to write it, are you thinking about <laughs> your generation? Or are, you just, are they coming from a very personal place? And what's resonating is that you're like being honest enough about something in yourself that other people are like, oh, me too. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, I are you thinking, I'm making this for the world right now? No, God, just, no. I don't think anyone, I don't think you could you think You can't, that. right? It's like I not specific so. enough, right? Yeah, and I think, there, you know, isn't there, there's some line, I don't remember where I read this or, or heard it or, you know, but that in the, in the specifics or in the details is the universal. You know, I feel like if you try to tell a story, write a story or draw a story, whatever, for everybody, it won't be that fascinating. But if you just tell your story, um, then inevitably, probably many, many people will connect with it. And I know at least with this book, or rather when we were turning, at some point somebody mentioned the word generation with the Tumblr or with the book. And I remember getting very uncomfortable with that. Um, because that's a crazy idea. Um, to be talking about a generation. I also don't even know if I totally feel like a generation has all these things in common, maybe to some extent. Um, but I know with me it was really just, you know, telling stories that some, some of them are very much from my life or from a friend's life. And some of them are me just sort of making things up. But I definitely don't think that you can have in mind, uh, you know, speaking for for that, for, for a generation, I don't know mm. what that would well, look like. Well, I also, here's what I think is interesting about this project, though, is there, first of all, there's a possibility for people to resonate with what you're saying in terms of saying, that's me. Yeah. I've thought that, or I feel sure, that, or that's, sure. like, right where I'm at. Yeah. 
But then, um, even though I know you don't like it when we talk about generations, I do think that for people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, it also offers like a kind of window and insight into what it's like to not just be living in this time we're living in right now, which we're all doing. Sure. But the very specific experience it is to be like in your 20s at this moment in time. Yeah. With the technology and the social media and a lot of the things that your work refers to and references sure. that um, that it's a different thing to encounter those variables when you're at that particular stage of your development than it is to be encountering it as a 45-year-old man, for instance. Yeah, yeah, okay, I could see that, definitely. So it's interesting because it can help people who are at a very different place in life look at and locate experience of others yeah do you know what i mean yeah 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 yeah. and then the people who are right in that lane with you it gives them a place to resonate right here and now so that makes it an interesting project that isn't that sounds interesting to me yeah you know yeah and i i read articles from time to time i just someone sent me one the other day and the way the way my own birth date falls i'm like on the end I'm on a cusp of where they usually cut off about the generational trends. Right, 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 right. And then my two younger sisters are like on the other side. Oh. So it's really interesting because even though we're not that much that far apart year-wise, yeah. we're like under five years apart. Yeah. It's still interesting to me that something culturally shifted to the degree where I can notice my experience being so distinctive from theirs. Is that right? That is fascinating. You know? Yeah. And so the, it's funny how you can look and be like, okay, I'm not that many years outside of being a 20-something. Right, right. But at the same time, it's like a whole other world. It's like a whole other thing that I'm looking at and trying to kind of wrap my head around, like, what is that like? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's funny that you say that because I think for me, I feel a little bit like I'm on, I'm on the cusp of uh, certain experiences that I'm talking about in the book, or like on the cusp of, of this generation. So right now I'm 28, and, um, and I feel like from what I've read, like the word, quote, millennial is described somewhat vaguely. Uh, right now, I'm thinking it's something like 18 to early 30s people, but I don't really know. I feel like I, I read a lot of different things. Um, but for me, I know it wasn't until I was maybe 24 or so that I started seeing all these articles popping up about people in their 20s and about millennials and how um, they were struggling with certain things. You know, I feel like there's always like a New York Times article that's like, and then they moved back in with their mother. And, um, you know, and it's really, it was kind of surreal to me because when I first hit 20 or, or when I graduated from college, maybe I just wasn't looking at newspapers or at things on the internet, but I don't really remember anyone talking about it. And, um, and so by the time that I was sort of reading, like, there's a discussion about people in their 20s, I was, I was teaching 11th and 12th grade English. I had been for like two years, you know, and, um, 
And I guess I just feel like I've had this very weird experience where at 22 I was a classroom teacher, but then at like 25 I quit and I moved home to my parents where my mother's. And then I went back to this very like adult job. Like I feel like in some ways I've experienced a lot of what at least certain New York Times articles say define people in their 20s. And then to another extent, I have felt very outside of that. And, um, and I do think that when I started this uh, Tumblr and then book, to some extent, one of the reasons that I could write about stuff like this in the way that I did is that I was a little bit removed from it or a little bit removed from some of the really um, angsty experiences of it. And when I look at certain art projects that I made when I was like 23 years old, they are just an emotional mess and just an explosion of, of fear and doubt and anxiety and confusion, um, which is true to how I was feeling at the time. And then this book takes, has all those feelings in it, but makes them a little, I think, digestible, you know, um, and makes it maybe a little more fun <laughs> than the feelings actually are. And I think part of the reason that I could do that uh, was being a little bit, a little bit past them in my life, even though definitely the doubts and anxieties, etc., I'm not past them. Um, but, uh, and being a little bit, uh, only maybe partially indoctrinated into this idea of being 20 something, you know, I didn't hear it for a while. And I, I don't know what it's like to say hit 20 years old today and then to maybe be able to go online and read, you know, 30 articles about what that means and someone's telling you what it means. I don't. I don't know. That's probably really strange. And I'm glad that I didn't have that experience. Um, I think, I, although I just kind of wrote a book about that, so maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe there's pros and cons to each way. Can you talk for a minute about being an author and an illustrator? And just from yeah. a technical point of view, when you sit down to um, to work on these, what usually comes first, the the words or the images? Yeah, yeah. Um, at least with this book and Tumblr, the words were always first. Uh, I, almost 100% of the time, I would work on the writing. And with this book, pretty much the writing of the book maybe took two weeks. Um, and the drawing of the book took almost three months. And the writing is sort of a more, um, I, I sit there and I stare at my notebook or I stare at the laptop and I cross things out and I rewrite things a million times. And it's kind of a, an excruciating process when it's not going easily, when it's not flowing. Sometimes it's just, you know, things come out and that's wonderful. Um, and then the illustrating, is a lot more of a, maybe there's a brief period when I'm starting an illustration where I really have to focus on it. And then a lot of the rest of it, I, it is kind of just putting in the time. Not to make it sound, that sounds a little dull, but um, uh, 
I can daydream a lot more. It's kind of really pleasant in a way. It's like a, a break or a relief from the writing process. Uh, but I like, I like doing both. And I like being able to do both of them for my work. I would feel really weird if I wrote something and someone else illustrated it. And, uh, and also, especially with the way that I work now, almost everything I do, and even when I think about what, what books or, or like what tumblers or internet projects I want to do next, it almost always involves words and uh, images. Because, I, I mean, I guess that's just the best way that I know how to express myself. And, um, but I, I love being able to do both because they are each from a little bit of a different place inside of me. And so I think the conversation between the two allows for a lot of interesting things. Mm. Yeah. Um, your release date's coming up pretty soon. I know, in like a month. I imagine that your promotional stuff is well underway. I guess it is. How are you feeling about <laughs> having this out in the world? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, terrified, definitely terrified. You know what's funny is that every now and then, so I'm just start. you know, I just started to like post about the book on Facebook uh, and things like that. And I wasn't, t I didn't tell almost anyone until a few weeks ago about the book. But, really? Well, okay, now look, if you, if you saw me in my regular life, if you saw me face to face, you'd know I, I had sold a book and I was writing a book. But I didn't make it public at all. And I d explicitly told people, please don't make it public until recently, because while I was writing the book, I didn't want anyone else to know. And um, I, I was so nervous that it was going to be bad. And I think I didn't want to tell people because I was like, okay, it's really exciting. I sold this book to Penguin. That's amazing. But I still have to, I don't know if it's any good yet, you know. And so I didn't want to tell people yet. And then, and then when I started really, really making it public um, a few weeks ago, I was like, okay, yeah, actually, I really like it. And, um, but it's been really strange because even something as silly as, you know, so-and-so liked your, your picture or your post or whatever, and it's maybe, you know, it's, a, you know, it's my girlfriend's mother. And then I literally, I'll go take the book off the shelf and I'll flip, th I'll flip through it for two minutes. I'll be like, is there anything in here that I should be really embarrassed by or, <laughs> you know, or that I didn't actually want anyone in my life to read and now they're going to read it. Um, so it's a little terrifying, you know, where I have to tell, you know, my grandmother will say, oh, her, her next door neighbor is really excited about the book. And then I'm like, oh, no, you please, you have to warn her. You know, it's a little there's some vulgarity in it. There's some curse words. There's some innuendo. You know, I'm very, uh, I don't know, it's terrifying. I guess those are silly things. Maybe most people are worried about bad reviews. I'm worried about my grandma's next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really, I think it's really important because I think that's part of it is that we have, it's almost like those are more real. Because yeah. those are like the real flesh and blood people in our world. Oh, yeah. And so I think it's, it makes more sense almost to have a consideration for how it affects them than some reviewer who you're never probably going to meet face to face. 
Yeah, yeah. Or have to, like, have an interaction with. But you're like, this woman has to live next to your grandmother, like, long I after she reads this. I know, <laughs> I know. And, like, oh, no, now she's going to know all these things that I've thought about that, you know, they don't need, well, anyway. But, um... It's funny how you can't think about... Not funny. It's interesting <laughs> to notice how you can't be concerned with that while you're writing it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's almost like you have to, like, take all of that and close it into the closet. Yeah. But then the, the hard work about releasing it is you have to let all those things out of the closet and work your way through them after yeah. the fact. Well, even, and, you know, and I'm, I'm getting, it's been a really interesting process just in, in the past year or so. Um, like, one way that I've changed a lot is that if I, w maybe even... Uh, nine months ago, let's say it's in the, in the middle of writing the book or even right after I wrote it and it was really done, if I was showing it to someone or showing some part of it to someone, I would inevitably end up, they'd be looking at the piece of paper or at the screen and I would be talking over their thoughts, explaining everything and basically apologizing for everything, you know. I, I you know, oh, I wasn't sure about that idea, um, you know, but uh, but my editor suggested such and such, and so I'm trying it out. I don't, what do you think, you know, or, and kind of doing things like that. And it took me a long time to be able to just hand someone the book or be aware that, say, lots of people might just be looking at this website and not want to... Um, I want to I want to use the word like oh explain my my thoughts to them but I think really what I was doing was just apologizing for the what I imagined were the failures of it. But I don't do that now uh, cuz it's not useful to anyone. <laughs> Nobody needs that. No, but I have this exact feeling too. It's hard. It's hard to like I, hold it back in. I believe that. And not I be totally like, believe that. Um, <laughs> it um I don't know. I don't know what that is. It almost feels like you're not, when you're having that moment, it almost, and it's bubbling out, it feels like you're not being honest. If yeah. you let it just stand on its own and you don't tell them. I know. Like, <laughs> um, oh, you know, you never went to film school or <laughs> yeah. I never studied this yeah. type of art or, you know, to yeah. say whatever. There's something that feels dishonest about it, but it's not. Well, one of the things I'm really terrified with this book is um, is showing it either to my friends or, you know, or people who I don't know looking at it, who are trained as artists, um, because I am not. Uh, I've taken two drawing classes in my life, and. Uh, and I've always drawn a lot for fun, but basically when I, when I s sold the book, I was kind of surprised, like, oh, you're gonna let, uh, you're gonna let me illustrate it. That's great. I have to like step up my game a little bit, you know. And uh, and I do think if you look in the book versus the website, you know, the illustrations in the book are really a step up, um, because I tried very hard to get myself, I w but I was kind of faking it, you know, like. I never learned certain things. And conveniently, my brother, my older brother who I live with, is an incredible artist. 
he's a, he's a painter, he's a great illustrator, and so I would always bring illustrations to him in the room next door and kind of say like, what, what's wrong with this? And then he would explain really basic things that most artists know about, say, like, how you want, um, like, a, like a full spectrum of, of white to black contrast in an image, you know, or like if you want certain things to stand out, you do this, this, and this. The things that most people would know from, like, an, from introductory drawing classes that I wouldn't, but my brother was kind of walking me through a lot of the process, and I definitely, I was kind of bluffing. And I'm nervous to, I'm not going to, th that's not like something I'm going to tell people as I hand them my book, like, <laughs> the pictures are not, really, you know, like, I, was, I drew all those sitting in my bed, you know. Um, I don't have a drawing table. Um, but I know that really skilled artists, friends of mine, will be able to kind of see, like, this, oh, this is way off. You know, this one is, is terrible. So, but I kind of, you know, and then a part of me just thinks like, well, okay, well, that's, you know, that's just part of it. So, I mean, that's just part of uh, the style of the book, or, or maybe that's a good part of the book that, you know, these are, these stories are written and illustrated by uh, uh, someone who's, you know, figuring it out as they go. And I think that is kind of part of the book, mm -hmm. you know. I hope it is. <laughs> so I, I applied uh, recently for a fellowship uh, with, you know, TED, TED Talks and blah, blah, blah. And one of the, basically the fellowship, if you're chosen, they, uh, they bring you to one of the conferences and for like a week before the conference, it sounds like they have all of these just incredible um, meetings and workshops and they give you a mentor uh, to help you develop your ideas and they're looking for innovative quote I think they use the word innovators innovators in their field from around the world and about a week ago uh, I had a like a phone interview with them which was really thrilling because actually I'd applied like two months ago and I kind of just assumed nothing was coming from it um, and we had this phone interview and it was great and that the questions that they asked challenged me so much that I left it feeling really inspired and really pushed. It was probably not great for my application and that a lot of my answers were like, wow, I really got to think about that. <laughs> you know, or, um, or a lot of it was really just, you know, like they would say something like, um, okay, you have this book coming out and then you've done all these other you know, art projects before it, and you, you do these other uh, creative things, and, you know, like, what's, like, the unified vision of all of this? And I was sort of like, I don't know. What do you, you know, what do you think? And, uh, you know, because the truth is, because I, I have done kind of a lot of different things, and I want to keep doing a lot of different things. And when I do them, I'm just always kind of going with my gut, or probably more accurately with my heart. And, um, but I didn't have an answer for kind of explaining what it is that I do or what my vision is or what my goal is, all I could really say to them was, actually, that's why I really want to be in this program because I really want, I, I need people to talk to and I feel like I need a mentor right now. I feel like I don't really have a, a guide uh, with where I'm going. And I'm trying to be my own guide and it's working out okay, uh, but you know, I'd really love 
to talk with someone that uh, no, I don't know, can just can just help help push things or, or bring things to a place that I did not really expect. Um, and those conversations I think are hard to come by, you know. And then I think it was it were you and I talking about this recently, or or was this in our emails? That one of the things that I love is I love talking with um, other. I use the word artist, but I use that word very, very broadly. Um, I love talking with people who work in a field that is not mine. I, it's nice to talk with writers and it's nice to talk with illustrators, but I love talking with actors or playwrights or filmmakers um, or even maybe, say, certain you know um, um, scientists or, or computer engineers or things like that where you're kind of creating or envisioning new things. Because um, I always want to hear about, I'm obsessed with asking people about their process and about their daily rituals uh, and things like that. And I think part of doing that is just feeling, you know, less, less alone in the weird work that you do and the weird way that you structure your life. It is really abnormal, you know, that the way that my day is structured is that I, I wake up, I force myself to have a morning routine. But then basically I'm doing the great majority of my work about three feet from my bed, you know, or sometimes in my bed if it's the winter time because we don't have good heat in my apartment. So I'm just, I wrote most of this book with blankets up to my, you know, up to my neck pretty much. And, uh, you know, it's very different, especially coming from what was my life before where I was a teacher, you know, and everything is very structured. Um, and I really like that in a way. I like having a place to be every weekday morning at a certain time and doing these things. And I, I try to recreate that in my life now, but it is a, you know, what a, what a strange way to spend your days, you know, sitting and drawing a picture, you know, or, um, or just imagining things in your head. It's weird. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what I just started talking about right now, there. No, I know exactly what you mean. And I feel like for myself, what I've had to actually do is I've had to construct an entire new paradigm for a work ethic, for how yeah. creative work gets done. Like, I, I actually had to create a whole new, like, theory of how creative work gets done. Really? And how it's different than a traditional work ethic because I have to justify the way I do my life to myself because yeah. if you look at it through that traditional work lens it, it just looks like really posh or lazy or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. And, um, and it doesn't really acknowledge um, what this work costs you. Like what it costs you sure. to create something out of nothing. Sure. And how that's distinctive a distinctive type of work to do than taking coins at a toll booth yeah yeah totally you know well and it makes me okay that makes me think of a couple things um, I know with one of the one of the wonderful things about teaching uh, apart from just that it's an incredible fun meaningful uh, challenging and all these other things great great job just about I think the best job that I could imagine for my life. Um, but one of the great things about it is that you rarely have to question whether what you're doing matters. You know, 
if you tell people that you're an English teacher in a public school in New York City, you know, very few people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, what are you, you know, that's not, you know, it's different than, say, if you're, uh, if you tell someone you work at a hedge fund, you know, which I think is I, a little hard to, you know, it might not sit well with your soul. Um, teaching sits well with your soul. But leaving that in order to, uh, you know, for a while, I would think, you know, doing creative work, I would be like, well, this is, you know, selfish or, or self-centered or, or blah, 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 thoughts like that. And I had to kind of think, what is more, for a while I thought about it like, well, what's a more important or what's a better, what's, what's a better use of my time? You know, is it better for me to just sit at this desk or whatever, you know, with, with my thoughts and with my imagination and my creativity or to stand in front of this classroom um, with a hundred students over the course of the year. And, um, and in terms of like, which is, okay, which is maybe like better quote for the world or which is better just for me, for my own personal joy, you know, and better is the wrong word and more important is the wrong word. Uh, and maybe the right word is like, what's just more correct. Um, but it's definitely a weird thought to have like, is this, is this of any value what I'm doing? Um, and, and one of the best things, I expressed that to a friend of mine at some point, and she kind of said something like, okay, well, think of all of the, the books and the movies and the music that you love. How sad would you be if that person, you know, said, oh, this isn't really worth anyone's time, you know, and then just did something else. Uh, and it's true. I would, I'm really grateful for all of that work. But I think it's a little bit crazy, you know, you can't really sit down and think like, this is important work that I'm doing today. You can't do that, because that's dumb. And also, <laughs> I don't know what I mean by that. But also, I think you, uh, I'm, I think in the end, maybe thoughts like that, uh, not thoughts like what I'm doing is really important, but thoughts like the doubt, like, oh my God, what a, quote, posh life I'm living, or, um, or lazy, you know, all of the critical thoughts that you could have. Um, in some ways, those can be helpful, at least for me, because it keeps myself in check, where I think like, you know, it's, it's nobody else's job to care about the art that I'm making. It's n except for maybe my mother. You know, there's nobody who can be held morally responsible if, uh, if they don't read my short story. You know, it's nobody's job to do that. And so, I'm responsible to make things um, that might matter to other people, but also I think that's a dangerous train of thought because you can't, you know, sit down at a desk and think like, what will matter to other people? What can I say for my generation? Right? You can't do that. Um, but you can say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, maybe make my art, whatever that might be, um, with everything that I've got and make it matter to me and really, really hope that that means something to other people. And the strange thing, at least that I've experienced, is that almost every time that I let out more of myself or I make my work more me, and I don't necessarily want to say more personal, but more me, almost always means that more people connect with it. Almost always. Occasionally, people react like, wow, that guy's really weird. 
but even, you know, so sometimes that happens. But more often, it's a, you know, it's a great thing, which is really nice. It feels great for me, you know, uh, to know that most of the time you can express, it's almost more, you know, it's probably more valuable to express the things that you ne that you feel like you shouldn't or that you usually never say out loud because you think you're not supposed to or because nobody else says it out loud so why should you say it out loud you must be wrong um, it's almost always best to say those things because those are almost always the things that other people are are thinking and also not saying out loud and maybe not even realizing that they're thinking because I know I have that experience a lot with other people's art like oh my I didn't even realize that was exactly um, what I was experiencing. I just didn't have the words for it yet. Uh, so all of that is to say <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I think it's tough to sometimes feel okay with, with quote, making art, but I think it's correct. Mm. I think the other thing that struck me about your story with the TED Fellows yeah. interview yeah. is that there are all these things that we either that we're applying for or we're submitting to. Right. There, there are usually these organizations in place that really like us to fit into clear-cut categories. Yeah, sure. And for everything to boil down to a single sentence. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes if it isn't. I was wondering the other day, like, maybe it's, is it really our job to know what our work is or what it means? Or is that the role of the critic, the person outside, or even the colleague to mirror back to us? Because, I don't know, it feels like it, to be too self-conscious of it adds, like, a strange ingredient into the mix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's almost like, I wonder if, from the creating side, if it helps to like not have to be too self-conscious, not have to say to yourself, "What's the underlying message? Am right, I staying? Right, 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 right. Am I being consistent with my branding with this?" <laughs> right, right, because, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I know it drives people crazy, and, and it must have been so hard for them. But I think there's something so true for me. I remember the, when you told me this story that you were saying that. You would let your intuition lead you this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, oh, yeah, right. You've ended up in this place where you never imagined. Yeah. And you thought that maybe that could be a valid way to keep going forward. Yeah. And something about that feels so true to me. And at the same time, I could feel totally with you how, like, <laughs> what... Like, how wrong of an answer that is in a certain oh context of an, <laughs> was totally wrong of an application <laughs> in an interview. But it was the truth. But it was so true. Um, and yeah. I'm so happy that you said something true, even though I could just see someone on the other end of the line with a clipboard, like... I know. Making a big I could hear it. I heard, the, I heard the X. I heard their pen making the X. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, and yeah. here that goes. But you know what? I tried in a lot of parts of this process, I just tried to be totally honest with people and just hope that that would work out. You know, like all of a sudden I was speaking to agents on the phone and then editors. And then I was making a, 
a book where I, I don't, you know, you, you really have to believe that you can do that. But anyway, but when I, whenever I was talking like those first conversations with agents, I was totally honest with them and I was sort of like, uh, listen, I really, I, I've never spoken to an agent before. I don't even really know what I should be looking for. You know, like, please just give me your advice. It was, um, and it worked out just being totally, totally honest with people. And those agents were incredibly lovely and incredibly help, helpful. And uh, so I hope that that's just the way that things always work if you're just honest. Because I just realized I don't have the, I don't have the energy to attempt to be some kind of idea of what I think an artist or a writer or an illustrator or whatever should be like, I don't really, I think that would be incredibly stressful. So all I can really do is just be uh, honest about the things that I don't know, which is most things. I wanted to say a few things about, there were at least two things I was thinking about what you were just saying, and I remember one, and hopefully I'll remember the other one. But. Um, when you started to uh, mention, you're like, oh, we apply for all these different projects um, or fellowships or whatever. And I was just thinking about how many things I've applied for that I've been denied from. So many things. And I have a cousin who I'm very close with, and she is 22 now. Um, and she's an actress, and she's always going out for new things and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes she's finding success and sometimes not. And we have a thing where we always text each other when we're denied from things or when we don't get certain spots because it makes each other feel better. Like, oh, okay, yeah, totally. You know, this is just part of it. Um, and I just wanted to share that because I think it's lovely that she and I do that. And I feel good knowing that someone else is failing because I know, I think most, at least for me, most of the creative process feels like failure. It pretty much feels like failure most of the time, <laughs> and then and then hopefully in the end it doesn't feel like it, but definitely most of the time at least for me it does. It's basically like a public. I'm choosing to fail in front of people, and now especially even with this book, I'm sort of like, well, I've just made my first great public failure. Um, you know, for a, for a couple dollars, you can own <laughs> a failure of mine. And not that I really, obviously I would never kind of say that publicly, even though this is sort of public. But I wouldn't, um, I don't really think that. I don't really think that. I'm actually very proud of this book. But definitely it feels a little bit like that, you know, uh, which is, I hope, normal. Mm, yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Although that being said, I try. Uh, one of the lovely things about drawing is that I can listen to a lot of podcasts, or you know, or put on you know um, movies or TV shows or documentaries in the background. And you know, I can't really do that while writing. But so in the process of making this book, I listen to a lot of interviews with a lot of different artists and writers and comedians that I love. I actually listen the most to maybe interviews with like comedians and, and actors, maybe just because there seems to be so many interviews with them out there and there don't seem to be that many, I don't he hear as many things with, you know, like a writer that I love. Um, they, they seem harder to come by. But almost everyone, like let's say like Conan O'Brien, for example, seems like he, he will tell, he's told stories about like, oh, after a show and then he gets in his car to go home and he just feels horrible about 
the work that he did during that show. You know, it crippled, it's crushing him. And, um, and he's not satisfied with anything that he's done. And I'm trying to make a choice right now, and I hope it's the correct choice, for me at least, to not be totally unsatisfied with everything I've ever done. Most um, artisty people that I know are. And, and in some ways I think that pushes, you know, hypothetically that pushes you to always keep creating, keep doing more, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, I don't, it, first of all, it doesn't make me very happy to feel like nothing I've done is good enough. Um, I'd rather feel like, you know what, it was, you no, know, actually I'm satisfied with it and it was, it was the best I could do. Um, and I hope that what I do next will be even better. But definitely, you know, this thing was the best I can do and I should feel good about it. And I'm choosing to feel that way. I hope it doesn't just mean that everything I do will always be mediocre because I'm not miserable with, uh, you know, with self-criticism. Um, but I feel like that's a, uh, a nicer way to live a life. And I mean, and really, I got that from teaching because um, teachers, I mean, that's a job. It, every, every day, in a way, is a failure. It's impossible to be you know, that dream teacher that you have in your head. Some, you know, you, you make a lesson, you have a dream for how it's going to go, it never goes that perfectly. There's always a kid that you can't reach or that you can't figure out how to frame things so that they'll connect with it or get it. Um, and teaching can be really excruciating because at the end of the day, um, you know, you're all just sort of like, ah, you know, I wish I was more. Um, but, you know, and especially in the very beginning of teaching, um, because re you really are not that good then. It's not just like you're being hard on yourself. You're really not very good at your job. Um, but I kind of decided in the beginning I would set the bar for myself very low. Like if my students lived through the day, I could consider myself a successful teacher for that day. You know, and that's what it had to be for maybe, you know, the first month of teaching. And then you can raise the bar and you can raise the bar. But I know for me, it made me a better teacher to leave the building every day and think, I, I did the best I could and, and that's good, you know, um, and I can be proud of that. And it's, I really think it's the same thing, probably om almost with any, you know, part of your life, even like, you know, I think that that could go for almost any endeavor, but definitely with art making and that if I gave it everything that I have, I want to go to bed feeling, feeling proud of how I did. Um, just for myself. It is not useful to me to beat myself up about all of my imagined failures. Which is not to say that um, I want to, I, I think an inflated ego or something like that is, is useful. Uh, I wouldn't know because I don't really know what that experience is like, but I, uh, I don't want, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to have that experience of like Conan O'Brien, who I think is one of the funniest people ever, and then, oh my God, and he's not satisfied, you know, that must be miserable, you know, what a horrible, I mean, I don't really 
you know, I'm just using him as an example. And I'm sure, like I'm sure if he was here right now, he'd be like, I feel all right about it. You know, I'm not really miserable, you know, but you know what I mean. Well, it's like you, you want to be able to enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Enjoy. And I, and I want to be able to enjoy, you know, there was a moment of, you know what, actually this is, and I think this is a good story, was that right after I sold the book, I was out with um, a bunch of storytelling friends. Um, and one of them was George Dawes Green, who's the, who's the founder of The Moth, and also, also uh, he's also the writer of a, a bunch of novels, you know. And I was telling a whole bunch of uh, people at the table, you know, oh, I, so I sold this book to, to Penguin, and everyone cheered, you know, it's very exciting. And, and he congratulated me, and then I crossed my fingers, and I said, I was like, well, well, we'll see, we'll see. I still have to write the book, you know, or I said something like that. And then he yelled at me, and he was like, no, uncross your fingers right now. He was like, if you keep crossing your fingers now, you're going to cross your fingers when the book comes out. You're going to cross your fingers hoping for the first good review. You're going to cross your fingers for the next book. You'll never uncross your fingers. So just uncross them right now. You know, you've done it, feel good about the work, and keep going. And I think he was right. You know, you can't, uh, you got to uncross your fingers at some point. And one of the things, I, I've had a conversation like this with a bunch of my um, friends, specifically my friends who do sort of like stand-up comedy and sketch comedy and improv comedy and stuff like that. And a lot of people, the people that I'm thinking about are in our, we're in our mid uh, mid twenties. I'm maybe the the oldest of them, um, and most of us feel like failures, you know, because of, you know for a million reasons. But one of the things I said to them was like, "Well, imagine yourself five years ago. If you could know five years ago, you know, that your improv group had a weekly show at the People's Improv Theater, or that you had were putting up uh, a one person comedy show." Um, that was getting great reviews, you know, from friends and from people whose opinions you respect, if not maybe in, you know, at the New York Times or, some, or something like that. How would you feel if you knew that five years ago that that's what you were doing right now? And everyone was like, oh my God, that would be so cool. Yeah, I would feel great about that. You know, but it's sort of like as you, um, the more that you do, then you raise the bar for yourself higher so that you're never really satisfied with what you've done. But I think it's useful to think about how you would feel about something that you've done now, you know, you know how yourself five years ago would feel about it. Because um, it puts it a little bit into, into perspective. Um, and it lets you feel good about it. And I think people should feel good about what they're doing. You know, whether it's art or just life, you know. I think it's better to feel, better to feel good about it for everyone. I think so too. Cool. Thanks so much for talking to us today. I can't wait to celebrate your book release. I am so excited with too. With you so soon. Yes. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retrospective. I'm your host, Jen Lee. Meet me back here for more conversations and stories about where we are and how we got here on Retrospective.